Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I want to invite you to turn again to John chapter 17. As I told you, most best I know, uh, we will be in John 17 until Sunday, and then we'll uh, be headed uh, in uh, another direction. Well, I say another direction, we'll just be taking a, a step on in our plans as preaching-wise on through the month of September. Um. I'm excited about tonight and Sunday. Uh, I'm thankful for you being here tonight. You get, uh, I think you and I get some things tonight that come Sunday that it makes it just pull a little together a little quicker uh, when Sunday gets here. Pull together a little quicker. So John 17, what I want to do is I want to read verses, verse 20 to the end of the chapter. We're going to pay close attention to a few few words, and, and then we'll end up looking at Second uh, Corinthians chapter three as we kind of close things out. But in John chapter seventeen, once again, Jesus is praying for his disciples. Jesus is praying for us. He says, "I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may they all may be one as you." Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and they, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, when we go back and we look, we see the word glory when we get to um, verse 22. He's praying for us. He lets us know that he's praying for those that would come along after the disciples that are standing there with him at the moment and those that are around there, he's praying for them at that time, but he also prays for us, those that would come along in the future, 
because of the words that are taught. And don't miss those little things like that. That That's how it's going to happen. I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe me through their word. And their word is his word. They studied the apostles' doctrine. They they taught it, and that is they stayed true. Those would stay true and steadfast. And and even today, as we stand and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is His word. It's the same word that He gave to them. He's given to us, and so that word is what's changing people. It is the word of God. Uh, Paul again, Romans chapter one. He said, "I'm not ashamed to go to Rome and preach the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the." proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and so that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, and he says, in the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So he talks about the fact that he's given us this glory. We'll look in a minute, or in a few minutes, we'll get to where... Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it mentions about Moses and how when he was uh, asked the Lord to see his glory and uh, he, the Lord hides him in the cleft of the rock and it's actually the picture even of that God's got his hand covering him as he goes by and then after he gets on by, he removes it and he sees the Lord going off in a distance from his backside. And then Moses veils his face. He goes out uh, to the people and this whole picture of Moses with the glory of God shining upon his face, the countenance there, and that it's veiled to protect the people and to, to just uh, shadow there the glory of God from them. And it's that glory that's on him at that moment is fading. He had spent some time with the Lord and the glory, it's almost like it's dissipating. It's, it's like it's fading away and it eventually fades on out. And he says here that he has given us this glory. You and I are finite people. We are people who we, we, we have limitations. And I'm pulling back on things that we've learned already. But you remember that when, if you are a child of God and God looks upon you and looks upon me, what does he see? Does he see me? No, he's not looking upon me. As, how, how am I justified? I am justified through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus as the atonement for our sins. And so when, Christ, when God looks at us, He sees the work of Jesus Christ, and that is accredited to us or accounted to us for righteousness. So when He looks at us, He doesn't see us like we are now. You and I are in a process right at this moment. But one day we're going to be glorified. But I want you to keep in mind that we're not finished at the moment. And because we're not finished, we cannot behold the glory of God as a whole, as, as in, in its entirety. We can't take everything of who God is. And because of that, the glory that we have is to some degree limited. And I, I want to say limited. It's, we have all of it, but yet we can't, um, we can't handle it all. It's, it's not at this moment. I don't know if that's trying to make sense there, but it's almost like um, for my Social Security folks here, 
as long as you live, you are supposed to have X amount of dollars that comes into you, but that you don't get it all at one time. Think about a retirement account. It's there, but you got to take withdrawals out, right? You don't get it all at one time. Our account is settled in heaven. That everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness and what we will be when we see Him, all of that is settled but yet here on this earth, we can only get bits and pieces and doses because we can't handle that. that. We can't take it because we still deal with sin. The Bible says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And, and all. so we deal with this sinfulness. And so this glory that we're talking about here, that he's talking about, it, it's, it's been given to us, and it's been given to us for a reason. And he tells us what the reason is. Um, he says, I in them, and I'm, let me go back to verse 22, and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So that's the first thing that we'll notice, and we'll talk more about this on Sunday. I just want to take you on to a particular place, but one of the things that God, uh, one reason God has given us what he's given us is so that we may be one just as he is one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all, they're all one. In, in other words, there's no contention there. That I in Him, He in me, talks about Him and the Father and the Son. He says, I want that, them to have that relationship. I want them to be one just as we are one. Then He says, so that other people might see, know that I have come. Well, and this is what it says, verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So nowhere in this picture does God say that he did this for, because of us. And this is a really good thing for us to get down. You've heard me say this many times before, but it's something that we really have to nail down. The primary purpose for God sending Jesus Christ into this world to redeem us was not for us. It was for His glory. Everything that Christ did was for the glory of the Father. Everything. We get this idea sometimes that, man, God loved me so much. He looked down, he saw me, and he just could not stand to have heaven without me. And that is such a twisted and perverted view of the truth. The truth is, and we know this truth, but it's good to hear it because it, it applies here, that you and I were filthy, wretched, hearts darkened, you know, lost, sons of disobedience, and God in time past chose, chose to love us, not because we were lovable, not because we had something to give Him. So many times we think, well, I have got some, I've got something to offer to God that God has just been looking for. I mean, when He finds out what I have to offer, it's gonna, he's going to be excited about what he did in purchasing me on Calvary's cross. And that's so crazy when you think about the truth of what Scripture says. But he chose to save us even when we were unlovable, we were lost in sin. He made the choice to redeem us. But don't ever forget that he does everything that he does for his great namesake. That's why he does it. He does not do it 
because he is stirred by some emotions. God's not like man in those ways. You and I have a hard time differentiating between right and wrong because of emotions, do we not? I mean, it gets tough. I mean, honestly. People that you love, you want to tell them the truth, but if you tell them the truth, it's going to hurt them. People that you love, you know the truth about what's right and wrong, but they don't want to do it. And it's, it's hard because your emotions get in because you don't want them to not like you. We need them to like us in our flesh, don't we? That codependency. We, we, you know, it's like, I, I don't want this person upset at me. I need this person in my life. It might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be friends, it might be co-workers. It might be because it's a financial situation. You know, I can't, I can't cut time, I can't do this because if I do that, I'm going to lose my funding. You know, I mean, there's so many things, but God's not like that. God does not have to have you to be God. He doesn't have to have me to be God. God does not need my checkbook so that his cause goes broke, don't go broke. He is self-sufficient completely. He is the only one that is. We need Him. And He chooses to have us in the plan. That's a stat, that's kind of, it really cuts you to the heart, doesn't it? I mean, I think that you and I are created with unique personalities talents, you know, uh, great things that God can use us for. But that's, those things can't be put up there as to why God did what he did. Because if that's so, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, there are certain gifts that I know God did not give me because if he did, my head would be the size of a 55-gallon drum, you know. I mean, if I could play the drums like Rusty back here does, man, what the world. I mean, I wouldn't be preaching, man. I'd be playing for, you know, some Skinner cover band or something like that, man. I'd be, you know. I, I, I'm, but you get what I'm saying? But God did not redeem you because of what you could offer him. We were totally alienated depraved in our sin, could I mean, we're blind, the Bible says. And so God saves us. And, and this is, he wants us to be one, just as he and, and Christ are one. And, and so that they might know that Christ has come into the world. And there's the, like, I think it's called a crescendo. There's the, there's the, there's the, the big deal, the top of the mountain. Why does God want us to receive his glory that we might be one as he is one left here in this earth? And I will be talk, we'll talk about a little bit about how we're made one, but why does, why? So that they might know who? Every, everybody that doesn't know him. So that they might know that he has come. Well, it's kind of obvious that he's coming, and then they write a whole book about this. Yes, but you and I are here as Christ to the world, the living testimony of Christ, the gospel. And so how do we unite together as one? 
Well, it surely is not on what you think is right and I think is right. That's why you got churches that have some have purple carpet, some have yellow carpet, some have red carpet. Why? Because different people have different likes and dislikes. You know, ladies' auxiliaries. We've got this one ladies' group that meets, and it's an azalea club because they like azalea bushes. Then here's this other group. They don't like azaleas. They like begonias. And they'll never unify. This group is never going to say an azalea is a good bush, and this group over here is never going to say begonias are good. And if it's guys, we got the Ford Club, the Dodge Club, the Chevy Club, and there'll never be one. Can I get a witness? That's why I tell you, I know I'm saved. Because God took all that away from me. The only, again, my favorite vehicle is a paid-for vehicle. That's a running paid-for vehicle. That's my favorite vehicle. I don't care who made it, as long as it runs and it's paid for. I'm, uh, and it can do what I need to do. I'm cool. Of course, I guess in that sense, if I went by those rules, then that's my club and I'm better than everybody else because if that's not in my club, right? So how in the world do you get people, and I want you to hear my heart, folks. Think about the day that we're living in right now. How many different activist groups are there? We've got to care about this life and that life and that life. And we got to care about this gender and that gender and this thought about a gender and that thought about a gender. And everybody is at each other. And then you got somebody in the middle or people in the middle somewhere going, can't we all just get along? And the answer to the question is, not in that world you can't. You'll never as a matter of fact, the only world that it works in is this world. Why? Because it is not your opinions, it is not my opinions, it is not your truth, it's not my truth, it is His truth. His truth brings us all to the foot of the cross. And I'll just, I'm just telling you, I've done enough church life now to know when it's, when it's in, in the right gear. When they argue and fuss and fight about everything, they are not one. That's because everybody's wanting everything but this. You see, that's what united the apostles, that the doctrine that they were given. And that's why Paul even made it a precedent to say that if any man preach any other gospel to you other than what you have heard from us, let him be accursed. That you don't follow after any crazy wild doctrine. Why? Because all you got to do is take this book, tweak it just a little bit, and you're no longer one. Because if you are, you've got the literalists that say, this is it. This, whatever, what the book says is what the book says. There it is. But then you got the ones that say, yeah, but all of that, but I don't agree with you on this part. And it starts building. When Jesus Christ come to this earth, the nation of Israel, 
<laughs> they were not one. They were so scattered and divided with hierarchies and everything else that's going on. I got to ask a great question at lunch with the pastor on Sunday. Time of Q and A here, and 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 all, and somebody asked me, said, "So you've been at the church, and I'm just paraphrasing, but you've been at the church a little while now, and so what is to protect things so that the pastor is not some dictator?" And my answer has been something that has really caused me to have to pray and think about a lot of things. Not not so much church life, but there too. I said, I said, well, you can have all the documentation you want to. I said, but it's kind of like our country. Unless good men do what's right, bad men will do what's wrong. I mean, a piece of paper is not going to defend itself. You've got to have somebody that takes the piece of paper and says, this is what it says, this is what we do. Because if you don't, then somebody will break it, the trust of it. The same thing can happen in the church. I said, you know, and my point was, we can have documentation, and we do have some, some to, to call accountability, but unless somebody calls the accountability, the piece of paper is not going to jump up and go, hey, ho, ho, hey, hang on a minute. You're breaking the law. You're doing wrong. Or you're not following the guidelines, the bylaws, or whatever. So it's left up to, and who's going to do that? It's left up to people, and who's going to do that? It has to be people that are sold out to dot every I and cross every T. And then even in church life, and I don't have my phone on me, but I think I can remember... And, and kind of praying and meditating on that, I put a quote on, I put something that come across my heart as a quote on Facebook. And I'm just paraphrasing this. But why must we teach what freedom is to the keepers of liberty in both the church and the country? Why should you, why do you have to teach what freedom is to the people that are supposed to be guarding liberty. I mean, they're the, the ones that, you know, you're supposed to trust that they're going to make sure that we uphold the standards that we had. Think about the cost that was paid to, for that. I, I was just, I was sharing with some folks, was, let's see, today's the 30th, Right? So Monday was the 28th. That's Carolina Day. This is a South Carolina thing. Does anybody, anybody ever heard of Carolina Day in South Carolina? Yeah? So I, I'm thankful to, be, to have been grown up in a time when they actually taught history. And so in, on June 28th, 1776, British troops in ships come down to Sullivan's Island in South Carolina around Charleston area. There was a, 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 and 
like a fort that was to be built there, but it wasn't finished. Colonel Moultrie, I think it was, was leading that. They come in, they start lobbing cannonballs and stuff at them. They grab what they had, palm trees, cut the palm trees, start building a makeshift fort. But instead of splintering like a lot of trees would do, the palm trees actually absorbed the, they're kind of rubbery. They absorbed and repelled the cannonballs instead of it just bursting into pieces. I think, if I'm not mistaken, from it's been a while, been a long time, but I think they even lobbed some of their cannonballs back at them because it didn't mess them up. But nevertheless, I want you to think about what happened back then. When they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they mailed that sucker over to the king and said, we're done with you. This is, what, this is how we're going to live. And basically, if you don't like it, send the troops on over here because we'll die here before we'll be in bondage any longer. And, and our, our life in America, not sitting here saying America's the Bible, don't hear that, but our life here and what we enjoy as freedom, and I think that there's a lot more right with Amer that was a right with America in her founding than there was wrong, even though there are a lot of wrong things, but I'm just saying, but in her founding, look at the price that was paid. And everything that's, that we know that's right, that's worth holding on to, because think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created what? Equal. And all men have certain inalienable rights given to them by government. Is that what it says? Given to them by their creator. And if somebody don't hold the fort... And just for info, they sent the British backpacking up north in the ships. But if somebody don't hold the fort on the Declaration of Independence, on, on you know, our rights, then guess what happens? It opens the door up for bad people to do bad things. But it's the same way within the church, in a sense. Think about the price that's been paid for this right here. I mean, there's a huge price that's been paid for this. And so often we get real, we think it's about us. We get to thinking that this whole thing's a social club that I'm a member of and I pay dues of, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. We are here, but by the grace of God, each one of us. He's given us what we need for life, and He's left us here with a purpose. And that purpose is so that the world might see in us that Christ has come. 
And how do they see that? Because there is no way on God's green earth that people from varied backgrounds and cultures and religions or, or belief systems could be changed and brought together up under one roof and get along together and put all of their biases aside for the glory of God. He has to do that. He has to do that. And that testifies that Christ has come. And I've told you, every, every day that I study God's Word, I find more and more true that in my life, I know it's real because He changed me. I used to care about a lot of things. But every day I live in Christ, I care less about the stuff. As a matter of fact, I just told Christian, I ain't telling you what show it is. Y'all just have to let your minds wander. The last, next to last episode of a, of a program I watched come on this week for the season. And I sit there and I watched it. And I told Chris, I said, I think I'm going to watch the last episode, but I think I'm done. Because as I sit there and watch it, I'm a people watcher. And I've always had this, I don't know, I have to watch myself too because I want to straighten everybody out. Y'all don't struggle with none of that, I'm sure. But I have to keep those things up under the blood. I have to keep, keep those things there. And it gets me so worked up, it takes me hours to get off of it because I want to go up there and pop somebody because they're acting like a bunch of idiots. And it's somewhat of a reality type show. Or at least I think they're acting like idiots. They may not be acting, but I'm just, you get my point. And I sit there and I thought, and the Spirit of God was just convicting me, what good is this? Is it doing me any good to watch this? Is it doing my family any good to watch this? And the answer to all of it is no. Not one bit. The only thing it's doing is feeding me, the monster within me. That's all it's doing. I did, that, that, that's the spirit of the living God working in the life of a believer. And the less of those things that's in my life, the more I love you. And the less of those things that are in my life, the more I love him. And the less of those things that are in my life, the more I can, I can become one just as they are one. He says, you have sent me and I have loved them. This verse 25, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. He puts that little exclamation mark in there that, oh, don't forget all this happened before y'all were ever born before I was ever born the glory which you gave me because you love me before I before the world was ever formed before the foundation of the world I'm not gonna go too far over into this because I got to save something for Sunday no got to have the cliffhanger I guess 
I want you to listen to a few verses here, though, out of Second Corinthians chapter 3. Thinking along these lines, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, I tell you what, I tried to pick a place this morning at the 1030 service, but I just, and I was struggling. So let me just back up to verse 1, chapter 3. It's only 18 verses in the chapter. And we got another hour and a half of time, so it'll be just, all that'll work out. Do, he says, do we begin again to command, commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles and com- commendations to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. That's a staggering statement. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, and he's talking about what Moses was given, the the Ten Commandments. And that's God's Word. And he said, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. In other words, that wouldn't, but just a little iota of the glory of God there resting on Moses' face. And if that was glorious, and it's fading away, now will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory and the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, he's looking on to Christ that you and I, we live in a different day and time than they did back in the day of Moses. You and I are... We have in our hands the finished Word of God. We have within our hearts the Spirit of the living God testifying of Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to Jesus, knowing that there was a Redeemer coming. We look back because He's already come, and now here we have the finished Word of God. We have a copy of God's Word that we can hold in our hands and walk around with every single day. They had to stand in front of somebody that opened a scroll or had a stone tablet and had them read it to them and teach it to them, and they would all gather around. And as a matter of fact, when he, as, Ezekiel, as Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, the Bible says they all stood up, and what actually happened was the priest that was reading or the scribe that would be reading the Scripture, whoever it was that was reading the Scriptures, they would be seated on a raised platform, and all the people would stand up. 
And they would stand there for hours upon hours while the Word of God was just read, not even expounded, just read. And they would get their Bible reading in that way. You and I, we know what's going to happen. We know what's coming. We know how the book gets finished. We know about the second coming of Christ. We know about all these things. Why? Because the glory that they had that started in the Ten Commandments, now we have it much more glorious ministered to us by the Spirit of the living God. Now, <clears throat> verse 10, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore... Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses. Don't miss this. He said, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. It's amazing, isn't it? The contradictions that we bring upon ourselves in Scripture. I just like the old music when the Scripture says, sing to me a new song. We say, I just don't like it when they repeat the verses over and over again. Have you ever read the Psalms? (laughs) I mean, honestly. (laughs) For the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, His mercy endures forever. (laughs) You getting tired of it? I'll say some more. For the Lord is good, His mercy endureth forever. Great boldness of speech. I just don't like people that holler when they preach. I just don't like people shout when they're worshiping. I just don't know about people that are just, you know, so bold with their faith. Unlike Moses who put on a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Talking about the the Jews. Nevertheless... When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, is taken away in Christ. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I just want you to carry this with you to Sunday. Taking everything that we've said thus far, Moses is there in the presence of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord is upon Moses so much so that the... I don't want to call God's presence a residue, but you get what I'm saying. There's something that continues with him. It's almost like, uh, you know, the little glow stick things. You charge them up with delight, you know, and get them good and charged up, but they won't last forever. Like, they won't stay glowing forever and all. And so you got to have... And anyhow, uh, that's a whole nother... I taught a lesson one time about that whole deal and learned about the phosphorus and you can't, there's certain types of light or do the best to charge it and all that stuff. And so anyhow, like the Holy Spirit of God in us or whatever, and we charge, anyhow, we get it charged up. And any, I remember teaching that one time, but, but nevertheless, it is fading as you get it charged up and you know, you better get done what you're going to do with it. Cause sooner or later, it's going to, it's going to kind of go out. <laughs> 
You ever been in a situation where you just go, you know what, man, I was just, I feel like I was in the presence of God. You ever, you know what I mean? You ever, y'all ever, anybody ever been there? Just like, man, it's so good. I just don't, honestly and truly, when we were singing earlier, I kind of almost threw her for, for, threw them for a loop because I was kind of like, you know what? Um, let's sing a little more. Things was just kind of sweet there for a moment. And I just, may it just been me. But that's okay. I'm sentimental. No, I'm But I was, no, I, I'm just, I was like, man, I, I just, I feel like this is just sweet. And the presence of the Lord is such a sweet, sweet spirit, isn't it? I mean, honestly, all the chaos and all the hectic stuff that we go through in life, man, sometimes it's just nice to be at peace. And the Spirit of the Lord is there. But it, all it takes is one knucklehead, don't it? You know, I mean, you just right there, you're, man, you, maybe you're doing your devotions, you got you this worship going on, and you're just, man, it's just uh, whatever. And somebody can walk up and say something dumb, and it's all gone. Some folks used to say, well, they quench the Spirit. Yeah, I love it when people just arbitrarily stand up and say something while I'm preaching. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Would you, couldn't have waited 15 minutes, just 15 minutes. Preacher, I just got to get this off my chest. I'm like, really? You know the moments, though, I'm talking about. You know, cell phone rings during worship. Those times. It's almost like you're in the presence of the glory of God, and then, phew. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. Here's, here's my point, and I'll take it one step, and then i got to stop because I don't want to mess up Sunday. I, I don't <clears throat> there is a freedom that's found. And, and you take these verses, and when you do all the, all the context and all the study around it, and you bring it around, people quote this all, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yeah, where, that's right. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, it's when you and I are in agreement on this. He's there in the midst. Wherever two or three are together, he ain't talking about two or three people that are in disagreement with what's going on. He's talking about, it's beautiful when the brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the dew falling on Mount Hermon, running down into the rivers of the Jordan Valley. It is like the oil running down the beard of Aaron, the high priest, as he's being anointed because he would bring a peace in the anointing of him. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in, together in unity. It's so good and so pleasant that when one strows discord among the brethren, God hates them. That's what the, all the, I just quoted Bible to you. Psalms and Proverbs. And he's there in the midst. When we quit worrying about 
colors of carpet. We, we quit worrying about our own wishes and our own whims and what we dislike and don't like. And when we unify up under the truth of God's Word, the Spirit of the living God comes into the midst. And He's there. And there's unity. You, bring, you have a peace that passes all understanding because you know that this is true and this is good. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. From what we got back in the day with Moses to what one day will be full glory. One day, full glory. Finished. All of it. Every bit of it. All of it. There. Forever and ever and ever. Think about that. Just. I can't go no further. I got to stop. I do. My prayer is that, I, that, that the church, not just this us as one, a body that meets, my prayer is that we would focus ourselves to bring glory to Him by being unified un, under the truth of His Word and that everything else Don't matter. It don't matter. I've changed so many things in my time as a pastor that honestly, I could care less about. And the more I go along in my journey, I could care less about it. It's just what it needed for that time to keep moving forward. You know? What would you change in your life right now that you know without a shadow of a doubt is a preference of yours that brings no good to your life or to the life of the people lives of the people around you? Please hear my heart when I say this, because I'm not this is, I'm not harping on the drinking. This is the only illustration that pops in my head at the moment to close with. <laughs> One of the greatest arguments I've heard about alcohol is that you can say whatever you want to about it, and you can go in Scripture, and I know all all the texts, and all the Bible does not say that thou shalt not drink. It doesn't say if you're going to hell if you do drink or nothing like that. But here's a good I think, question to ask. Is there anything great ever come out of it? Is there anything great ever come out of messing with it? Some things don't have to be written in red. You know, I... 
What in your life would cause you to go from being good for the Lord to being great for the Lord? Because I can tell you right now, I and I'm not. Please hear my heart. I ain't. I don't. I could care less what's in your refrigerator. I could care less what's in your cupboards. But let me tell you one of the most impactful things that ever changed me. And everybody's got their thing. I know I shouldn't drink because I'd be in jail if I was drinking. I know that without a doubt because it's been had me there before plenty of times. But I heard that asked me one time, do you want to be good or do you want to be great for the Lord? The Bible said that the kings were to abstain, abstain from alcohol so that they would have good judgment. The Nazarites took a vow, and John the Baptist was a Nazarite. It took a, they, they would abstain from alcohol. Jesus himself said of John the Baptist, he was the greatest man ever born of woman. That's a statement right there, ain't it? I mean, go read the Bible. Greatest man. And do I want to be good or great? Will it hurt me? Maybe not. Will it help me? Doubtful. But it could be anything. Critical attitude. I want you to hear me. I did not say that drinking was a sin. didn't say that. I'm just sharing practical testimony out of my life. Is it a critical attitude that you have where you critique everybody and you criticize everybody? Is that a helpful thing for the unity of the body of Christ? We could go through the whole list of things. It's some great stuff, I think, to think on. Because here's what's at stake. The testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. That they may be one, Father, as we are one, so that the world might know that I came. That's what it says. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us, and so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.